Welcome to Retelling the Bible. I am your host, W. Scott McCandless. It is my hope that with this podcast, I can help people to see the Bible in new ways. To try and turn the Bible into a simple history book or a journalistic report on ancient events is, in my opinion, to rob this amazing book of its power. I believe that the people who wrote the biblical stories would prefer it if we entered into the narratives, suspending concern, for the moment at least, for what actually happened so that we could focus on the powerful experiences of God that they were trying to describe. In season one, we are focusing on the Gospel of Luke's account of a journey made by Mary and Joseph from Nazareth to Bethlehem. It is a story that is only described in a few words in the actual gospel text, but that actually has a great deal of history and theology behind it. In today's episode, we find the young couple in the middle of their journey, where they run into a situation that gives us a good snapshot to illustrate the somewhat volatile political situation in the troubled year that the Gospel of Luke says, Jesus was born. Episode 2. The region between Samaria and Galilee. couple travels, they pass over some very different terrains on their way to Judea and to Bethlehem. Eventually, they come to the region between Samaria and Galilee, a cultural no-man's land. It is not that uncommon for Jews in Galilee to travel to Judea, most often because they are going to Jerusalem to take part in various religious festivals. However, few Jews take the most direct route because it leads through Samaria. Jews and Samaritans do not get along. They disagree in too many matters of faith and religion. So, as they approach the border of Samaria, Joseph and Mary naturally turn towards the Jordan River. They will cross the river and pass by Samaria on the east. For several miles, they have the opportunity to walk along the border between Antipas' territory in the north and the new Roman province in the south. They are shocked by how much the region has recently changed. In the days of King Herod, Galilee, Samaria, and Judea had all been united under one ruler, and although Herod had hardly been popular, that had at least made travel a little bit easier. Since Herod's death, things have been very different. First, the kingdom was divided between his sons, 
Archelaus in the south, and Antipas in the north. For about a decade, the two highly competitive brothers have taken great pleasure in collecting hefty tolls from travelers crossing the new frontier in both directions. But now that the Romans have tired of Archelaus's rule in Judea and Samaria, they have removed him and taken direct control of that region. Things are now very different in the south. Nowhere is the new state of affairs as clear as on the border between Galilee and Samaria. For a long time, Herod's family effectively masked Roman power in Judea and Samaria, even if it had always been there behind the scenes. There is no longer any attempt to hide it. Everywhere you look, you are reminded of the emperor's authority and the consequences of disobedience. It is particularly true at the border, especially right now, when there is a large contingent of Roman troops, as well as many toll collectors. The soldiers seem to be on edge. Their weapons are always close at hand, and they move about in large contingents. Joseph begins to suspect that this has to do with more than just preparations for a census or with an unusual number of travelers in the area. They seem to be afraid. Soon the couple begins to overhear excited talk from other travelers. There are rumors of raids against Roman outposts and patrols. There's been no violence, but supplies have been stolen, and communications and supply lines have been disrupted. No one has seen anything firsthand, but everyone seems to be talking about it. It certainly seems to explain the mood that Joseph sees among the troops. The first response that they have to anything that seems threatening is to increase the level of violence and oppression. Every few miles, the couple has to pass through another checkpoint. As Mary and Joseph approach the next one, a young soldier looks up. He scans them warily, looking for any signs of insubordination and checking for hidden weapons. Where are you going? the soldier asks in Greek. He speaks in a bored tone, a trained soldier who finds such a bureaucratic assignment to be beneath him. The couple does not understand him, of course, but a slave hovers nearby and quickly translates the question into their native tongue of Aramaic. The question is asked of Joseph. No one asks anything of Mary. Anything she might have to say doesn't matter. We're going to Bethlehem in Judea. Joseph replies. 
we are on a holy pilgrimage. Another festival? You people seem to have them every other week. Yeah, says Joseph sullenly. Something like that. They are asked many other questions. Where they have come from, how they feel about Antipas and the Emperor. They answer in such a way as to make their loyalty to the rulers seem genuine, although the soldier clearly does not believe them. Everything they are carrying is thoroughly searched, but fortunately they have nothing that a Roman would consider worth stealing. They are delayed for many hours with meaningless requirements. This is what often happens. Those who can afford it usually offer a bribe to be able to move along more quickly, but that is hardly an option for the couple from Nazareth. They are patient because they have no other choice. They put up with the inconvenience and discomfort, and they wait. Ultimately, they waste a full day at the checkpoint, and they know that there will be several more to pass in the miles ahead. But as the sun goes down, they are finally given permission to pass, and they continue on their way, one stage closer to Bethlehem. Here is how the Gospel of Luke describes the political situation at the time of the birth of Jesus of Nazareth. In those days a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration, and was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. Anyone with any knowledge of the history of that region during that era would have understood the historical references in this passage and would have understood that Luke was saying that these events took place sometime around the year 6 of the Common Era. We know that Quirinius became governor of Syria in that year and that he did indeed carry out the first Roman census of the territory of Judea. He did it because Judea was now under direct Roman rule, part of the world that Caesar Augustus ruled, and a proper registration was necessary. That seems to be almost exactly the situation that Luke describes at the beginning of his account of the birth of Jesus. And we know that this was the situation in the year 6 CE, 
This is the obvious and plain meaning of the text, though what the author means by it we have yet to discover. I realize that there are some people who would rather twist these words around to make them mean something quite different. They do this because the timing of the birth in the Gospel of Luke contradicts the story that is told in the Gospel of Matthew. That other Gospel insists that Jesus was born during the reign of King Herod the Great, who died about ten years before the events that Luke describes around the birth of Jesus. But I prefer to actually let the Gospel speak for itself, rather than artificially force it to harmonize with another writer's story. Luke clearly intends to set his story of the birth of Jesus at this particular historical moment, and I will respect that as I retell it. I have written more about all of the reasons why I believe that the Gospel of Luke sets the birth of Jesus sometime around the year 6 CE. I cannot go through all of that material here and now, but if you would like more information, you certainly can read my book. It's called Caesar's Census, God's Jubilee. You can purchase it on Amazon if you like reading a paperback, or you can get the ebook version in many online stores. Of course, we can ask the question why such an historical setting is so important to the author. I don't necessarily think that it is because he has better information about when the birth of Jesus actually occurred than does the writer of the other gospel. I suspect that it is actually about something else, and that he intends to use this particular historical setting to communicate some important truths about who Jesus is and what his birth really means. That makes it doubly important to take the setting seriously. And so I hope that this episode has helped you to do a little bit of that. Next time, we're going to jump back to the beginning of Mary and Joseph's story, which would have been, of course, when they were betrothed. Join us next time on Retelling the Bible. If you are enjoying this podcast, please tell your friends. Go rate us and write a review on iTunes. My name is W. Scott McCandless, and you can reach me on Twitter at Retelling Bible or at our Facebook page, Retelling the Bible. The music on this episode is by Kevin McLeod and includes his compositions Ada and Death of Kings. All of Mr. McLeod's music can be found at incompetech.com and is licensed under the Creative Commons. Here is the clickbait title for next week's episode.
an ordinary story. Boy meets girl. Boy gets engaged to girl. As Tina Turner would say, what's love got to do with it? <laughs>